Welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast. Today with Frank Salzgeber. Frank is the head of innovation and ventures office at European Space Agency. Hi, Frank. Hello. Good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm absolutely amazing. And you know, actually, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because on, on this podcast, we try to kind of cover almost every industry and Well, not almost every industry, but we try to get a very diverse approach on everything, right? So in particular, what you are doing and, and especially the topic that you're involved in is uh, obviously not something that you, you uh, deal with on a daily basis, but something that becomes more and more, and I'm not transparent maybe, but... Uh, more visible, more... But more Jonathan, I, I have to say, I disagree with you. I think everybody of the listeners dealing with space every day, but they do not know it. Maybe that's the reason. Okay. Yeah, true. But what I wanted to actually say is that, it, and, and you, you, you are right, so it becomes more visible. So, and, and there's multiple factors to that. Obviously, you know, um, things such as the marketing efforts of SpaceX are probably uh, one of the reasons. But I think also just on, on a political level, I think uh, we are going into times where this becomes more and more important. But obviously, you are the one that is best to tell us about that. And so kind of as the first approach here today, we always start the same way is I would like to ask you kind of to to tell us a little bit about your, you know, your different professional stages, kind of like how, how did you actually sure. end up where you are today and to kind of get an understanding of, you know, what has kind of shaped you and who you really are, you know. Yeah, and where I ended up where I am now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thank you, Jonathan. That is, that is, a, that is a great question. So um, there's a nice saying. Uh, Steve Jobs in his Stanford speech said very nicely, the dots of your life are connecting backwards, never frontwards. And uh, a lot of my dots in my life make sense when, when I'm looking back now. And um, I did my military time as a, a German soldier, e even in the US, which is pretty unusual. So I think every system allows... Uh, to do something which is different to the normal. Maybe that was the first start. And then I studied industrial engineering. And my dad kept me quite short in terms of funding. So I was forced uh, after my military time, where I was well paid, I have to say, to, to, to start uh, in, in, in the service industry and uh, in the catering industry to, to make some money. And when I was coming back uh, after my uh, traineeship in the Czech Republic, and Czech Republic in 93 was just in the break. Uh, it, it was amazing. It was a country coming from a uh, socialist into a really commercial world and opened up. And in the warehouse, uh, there was uh, some boxes of computers. So I put my first computer, which was a Macintosh. Uh, which I had no clue uh, what the Macintosh and Apple was, and then uh, fell in love in that. And back on the university, I saw a small note that uh, Apple Central Europe looks for um, uh, student help uh, uh, in the localization of making the European products. And I said, ah, I have a lot of knowledge of Macintosh, and I'm a great uh, tech geek. Uh, so I applied, and, and I started to work next to my, 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 my studies with Apple. And every day, Uh, I feel more ashamed because I had no clue about the technology. But I really was working with the, with the, with the gigs. And uh, so I was part of the Newton handbook, uh, making the European product. Newton was the first PDA light years ahead. So that was a very good education because it was a very flat hierarchy motivating people to go left and right, uh, think square, think different. And um, after my time, uh, um, or my university time, uh, when I finished my industrial engineering, of course, I stayed with Apple. And I stayed until Apple and made a quite good career there until 2000. And then um, um, I was founder of a small startup company. 
which was about electronic software distribution. So selling software over the internet sounds normal now for you and everybody who's listening, but trust me, 2000, that was revolutionary. So we, were, we had Adobe, Dreamwafer, uh, Quark, the first products, and um, and the company was growing. We had a very good investor, which is uh, today the CanCom. Uh, CanCom is the company, is IT uh, system integrator in Central Europe with, I think, 3,000 people at the stock exchange. So about then, 2003, the bubble burst, and we were 350 people. We were making money, and my own stock accreditation was not working. So uh, the last thing I was preparing was the merger between our company and CanCom, and that was a merger at the stock exchange with a capital increase. And uh, then I got a letter from a headhunter that ESA looks for the head of commercial development of human spaceflight. And I said, wow, who of my buddies is, is making a big joke? Because trust me, ESA was also not on my radar. And uh, so I answered because I said maybe three and a half pages perfect English. My buddies are crazy, but they're a little bit too lazy to write three pages. Huh? So, and they hired me. So I was working with the European astronauts. And then I think it was uh, 16 years ago, I was taking over the tech technology transfer and, uh, office in that time. And we said, come on, technology transfer is not only for normal industry, but it means also supporting entrepreneurship. And this is where I ended up today. And I'm nearly doing similar things. We started to support eight companies per year that time. Now we support 220. Mm -hmm. Uh, we built with all our partners the world's biggest space-related entrepreneurship network. And with the other part of our department where we merged last year, we're also supporting SMEs and existing industry and another 100 business cases of existing industry. And that's really fun because it's really diverse. We're doing a lot of crazy things. Um, and we, we can really be the support very, very early. And that is really fun. You see a lot of crazy projects. Um, and uh, we try to support them very, very early when nobody trusts that they could win. Yeah, um, I mean, there's uh, so many things that we can involve in, but kind of, I think the best part or the best, you know, starting point here uh, is kind of, you know, if you, if you could give us an overview of actually, you know, what, what, what does the space industry look like right now? Status quo kind of maybe focus on, I mean, yeah, if you want to kind of get also like in a more international approach to it, but I think more or less focus on Europe, right? To so kind of like, what is, what, what is it that, you know, this industry actually entails, right? Besides shooting rockets. Yeah, sure, sure Sanders. And it, there is a, was a big change. In, 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 I think 15 years ago, it was very uh, organized uh, by state institutions. Uh, it was governmental business. There was one maybe... Uh, uh, area which was more commercial which is telecommunication so it's the dish on your uh, roof where you get your satellite tv that was the first really commercial thing and i think sl astra in luxembourg was the really commercial satellite company i think that was the first change making space a little bit more commercial uh, the weather forecast maybe also but i think in the last couple of years space was becoming a, really a commodity one thing is of course providing the infrastructure in the sky, yeah, which are, have three layers. The first layer is telecommunication, which I mentioned already. The second is uh, navigation. Everybody can find its way home beside the iPhone is running out of power. So we have an entire generation which get lost if the uh, iPhone has no power. Nobody can read maps anymore. Right? Uh, so, which is normal, but navigation is also time signal. So our electrical grid is 
using the time signal. Our cell phone systems are using to synchronize the, the time of the na navigation satellites. Our planes are landing with navigation. So this has a big, big impact. And this is not only GPS, it's GNSSS. Uh, there are other systems like, uh, we have European one like Galileo. And what I think the big thing is about the big, big data is Earth observation. In the past, it was very military driven. But now with small companies, uh, Aurora Tech is building something related, fire detection, we have planet, we have, you get really the visibility, it's like a camera in the sky, which, and this is, I would say, these three pillars uh, are the backbone of our digital economy. So, and you have to build this infrastructure, yeah, you need, you need rockets to, to upload the satellites. Um, and there's a nice example, which are always taking also telecommunication, uh, I have a company which I'm not a big fan of, the Deutsche Telekom, you know, where the state has, uh, I think, a third uh, of, uh, of funding uh, or shareholders is still the state. You know, if, if we have to fund people like Jaya X, uh, where Europe was, our industry was sleeping for the last decade, you know, it's bad to fund them. It reminds me like Stone Cold Subvention. And, uh, and everybody speaks about 5G, but terrestrial 5G will be maybe 4% of the planet. So what is with the rest? This comes via satellite. Uh, Skylink is an example. Uh, so this will connect the dots. This will connect the last billions which are not connected. This will connect our Internet of Things. So this is, I think, where everybody will use more space in future, and space will solve a lot of problems. Uh, you cannot cheat from space. If a president in South America says there is no deforestation, we say sorry. Their own institute saying there is more deforestation because we see it on the satellite images. So that, that's great. You know, it's, it's the democratization of space. And space helps us to understand also our patient Earth, how healthy or not healthy or how ill the patient is. So and I think this, this is, this is a, a great change that we have more startups, more non-governmental players. That means government can do something else. They can go more on de-risking where industry cannot do their job yet. Yeah. And, you know, you, you just said like, yeah, we have more startups, you know, uh, more with more radical ideas and stuff. How, is that something that has kind of developed over the last years? Maybe also kind of, you know, obviously it's hard to kind of draw a correlation there, but do you think that has also something to do that, you know, with, with, with the kind of like SpaceX and their, you know, their approach where you're really kind of the first time you see a private, private, private player, more or less kind of, you know, digging into a space, which, you know, was dominated more or less by the public, public sector, or is, is, is that, is that not really, or do you think it's just, you know, in general, that, that this was kind of the next logical step that also space would see in an increase basically in, in startups. I think you answered it already, uh, but, but we have to split it. The first thing is Europe always had good startups. Yeah? When we look to Germany, Bosch, you know, was a startup. Uh, Daimler was a startup. A lot of companies were startups. So there was an area of startups. After the Second World War, we had a lot of startups becoming successful. And then there was a period where maybe it was not so chic to become a startup, I think, especially in Europe. Um, and uh, I had once a, a, 
uh, event with uh, Nicholas Nicoponte, is the founder of the MIT Media Lab, and then uh, it was about entrepreneurship, and he got a honored professorship, and then we went later to the Paris New York bar and said, you know, Frank, I had Christmas dinner, and my son is just creating a startup company, and my mom was coming over to Boston from um, from uh, from the UK, and then the second Christmas Eve, my mom said to me, Nicholas, are you aware that your son is unemployed? And, and they said, this is the problem in Europe, you know, and I think that has changed. So now the bright people are ringing, say, I don't go to McKinsey or whatever. I create my own company. And you learn so much. A lot of stuff which I'm doing now, I have learned when I was together with my co-founder, when we were two people. And we had to do everything ourselves. So that's the first thing. But also with space. We had companies, look to Mr. Kaiser, he had a rocket company in the 80s in Germany, but the government was not supporting it. That's maybe the big difference. And when we're looking to SpaceX, NASA and the Department of Defense were giving nearly $3 billion in contracts to SpaceX. That's the way you do it. You help. Most of the time, it's not the innovation and the VCs killing the startups. It's the procurement of the big organizations. And I think this is what we have to overcome. And uh, ASA has also learned a lot in that. I think it was last week where we signed um, a big contract with Clear Space. It was over 100 million. And it's one of our startup company out of AFPL, which are supported by the ASA Big Switzerland and the ATA Zurich. And they had, I think, 500,000 venture funding. Uh, they were competing against Airbus and were winning the tender for deorbiting debris in, in, in orbit. And now they sign a 100 million contract. You see, it starts to work. And you have to, there's a nice Chinese saying, a diamond is a piece of coal which was becoming something valuable under pressure. Sometimes our job is also to create the pressure, which is not easy in a government organization, trust me. Huh? That is crazy. Like they have 500,000 in funding and now they close a 100 million contract. Yep. That is insane. That is that is really insane because if you think about it, right, what is 500,000? Like that's, that's like really early stage kind of funding, right? Correct. Like, but there is a... How big of a team is that? Like what, what can you do with 500,000? Like, <laughs> like in terms of resources, just like team hardware, whatever they like, or I don't know, like how big was the team? Where is the team? So the, the, the team was printed over. So it was a first, it was a good background from, from the university. They were very well supported, but also by the government of Switzerland, by the Swiss Space Office. And, um, and I think Juk, he's the CEO, he, he made it very nicely because I think it's the first company who hired also a designer because they said, come on, why a spaceship has to look shitty? You know, it, it has to look good, you know? And, and I like that, you know, because it also sells and we, we have, in, I know in Germany we have three micro launcher rocket companies. How how amazing is that? Yeah. Spain has one. So, and across Europe I'm sure there are more. So forgive me that I've not mentioned that. We have to risk a little bit. We have to risk a little bit more, especially in the beginning, and having then the funding later. Rebel. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So I know. You, you, you mentioned it a little bit, but uh, when I was doing my research on ESA and especially kind of, you know, the activities that you do uh, um, in specific with you and your teams, uh, there was some crazy stats, you know, like um, this and that many offices, you know, this and that many startups that you've done over the years. Kind of give us an, you know, kind of an overview of, um, you know, of the, of the structure of, let's say, uh, the, or the infrastructure that you guys build in regards to supporting startups. 
Okay, I do. But I have to always to add, our part is a very, very small part of ASA. So most of the part of ASA is the standard stuff. So, but okay, we try to make noise like uh, like 500 uh, uh, of us, which helps because uh, uh, I think every organization should have a kind of, not only a board of normal officers, I think every organization should have a chief devil officer, which would be my dream title. Uh, so somebody who is pushing the boundaries uh, and, and um, and uh, like uh, Alan Grove said, uh, the, uh, one of the founders uh, and bosses of uh, Intel, as a CEO, you have to be a panic, uh, paranoid, uh, maybe not panic, but a little paranoid as a CEO is not bad. So you have to create your own competition. Don't wait that the others do it. So we have several pillars where we support uh, startups in early stage. The first one I mentioned already is our business incubation centers, which are across Europe. Uh, in, in Germany, it's supported by DLR, managed by Oberpfaffenhofen Anwendungszentrum. Uh, uh, we do the same in Baden-Württemberg, Bremen, Hessen by Cesar. And we always team up with the best local partners, uh, with the space industry, with Fraunhofer. Uh, in, in Switzerland, as I said, the ETH Zurich is our partner. Uh, in, in, the, in the Czech Republic is Czech Invest. Uh, which is our partner in Austria. Uh, Austria is uh, the Science Park Graz, uh, which is doing their fantastic job. It's the biggest uh, incubation center in Austria. So we say we always team up with the local partners because it's it's more like a franchise model where we have a little bit of money in the pocket where we do very, very early support. Uh, Lilium, uh, Frank Thiel mentioned it always, uh, that is one of his early investments. So we supported the company when there were four people. So we go very early in these things and giving and helping then increasing the likelihood of success. Uh, then we give money, sheltering, business coach, technical support, uh, office space, uh, international network, which we have, uh, which is which is amazing. Uh, if it's uh, Singapore, if it's Saudi Arabia, if it's Russia, if it's Israel, uh, where we help uh, our colleagues uh, with their startup program for space. If it's South America, if you need another patent. So it's really, we are the nice uncle as I said, with a little bit of money in the pocket and the right address book. Then we have small uh, uh, support for startups called Kickstarter, uh, where we chip in small amount of monies. And when you really have a customer or a good idea and you are SME already, then we give feasibility study money. We give uh, uh, even demonstrator to demonstrate that this works with the space technology. The good thing is we don't take any shares. Yeah, it's uh, equity free funding. And, and I would say these are the funding program which are going very much downstream. If you go upstream, often we start and then we have uh, for launchers our own program which is called Boost. We have technology programs, but our job is really to help also to push ESA internally. So trust me, I was criticized internally that we supporting spin-in startup companies six years ago. Mm. And we said, come on, if we do not create the new companies of tomorrow, who else does? Now they love it. Eh? So it's, it's always the problem when you do something new. Um, my old director general, Jean-Jacques Dodin, once said to me, and he said, and I tried to imitate his French accent, and he said, Frank, I'm a mechanical engineer. In mechanical engineering, if you do something new, you have friction. If you, do, if you have no friction, you do something wrong. And my answer is that I think we do something terrible right because we have so much friction. Yeah. So... I think every organization, I think, uh, should have that. You know, if somebody complains, you know, you're on the right track. 
Yeah, exactly. Because if you if, if nobody complains and, and everybody agrees, then you're doing something wrong. Yeah, and it, it's no fun, huh? So being the bad cop is much more fun than being the good cop. So <laughs> if people are complaining, come on, that's come on, that's good. It's good. Yeah, the fu the funny thing is, I I think um, you know the underlying aspect of of, of this is basically that um, you know seeing people kind of disagree with you and be against you and basically where you find yourself in this bad cop situation that is ultimately the um major major kpi that you need because it is basically the feedback you know that you see that you ultimately uh push people out of comfort zones and i think that's what it's ultimately about right because the thing is Whatever you do, right? I mean, yeah, you have a good address book, you have, uh, but then again, address book means you have people and you have money. But then again, ultimately, it's all about people making decisions, right? And getting yes. people on your side and getting, and then ultimately, when you, when you have startups, right? It's getting smart people together to come up with ideas. So it's ultimately always about people. And that's why, you know, once you introduce something or you propose things where you have, let's say, kind of a, you know, a wind blowing against you, right? That is um, that is basically you know the feedback you need, that you need to look for because then you know that you're pushing things out of comfort zones. And yes, you know and and, and then when you're looking to all big companies, big organizations, states, and so on, it's always the same people meeting each other. Uh, and and we know of, out of agriculture that self-impollination does not work in in in, in evolution. Uh, and uh, it, it, nature hates that. Yeah. yeah. If if you you if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Full stop. Exactly. It is uh, it's actually quite interesting. So um, maybe let's talk about some of the um, you, you've already mentioned some, uh, you know, a, a really good example with the startup um, securing the 100 million um, deal. But if we like, you know, I've, I've recently read a lot of things about, you know, where people kind of do some, pro uh, you know, uh, prognostics in regards to the, the role that Europe will play play in the future in regards to, you know, deep tech ventures and then also in general, you know, uh, ventures uh, which are maybe as well related to space, you know, but also more or less in the B2B side, right? So mm -hmm. uh, if you compare that basically, or the, the, the conversation always evolves around, you know, placing Europe or comparing US. to the US and China, right? And what is, what is your take on that? And how, how do you observe that, you know, being really, let's say, deeply enrooted in, in the space community? And, and I know that from the from the tech industry and from the computer industry in the past, I think Europe is not so bad, you know, uh, because we have great universities, we have great talents. Um, I do believe that we have better deals with a better evaluation than in the US. The US, where, and I see that very often when, when I, I don't say even countries, when I have cases where I say, come on, that's a great technology, but you also have to sell it. So we're still lacking capabilities. I would not say bullshitting, but I would say proper selling, make the right pitch, you know, how to dress the bride. Yeah. Yeah? And we have some um, entrepreneurs which are doing that very well, but uh, we are a little bit too shy sometimes. We, and and, uh, and this was the discussion where we had the incubation center in, in Spain, also in, uh, in, in, in Portugal. Trust me, for one salary of one aerospace engineer in Silicon Valley, you get an army of better educated people in Portugal, which are more loyal uh, with a better product. 
So this is, I think, our opportunity. And this is the reason why a lot of countries knocking on our doors and want to work with us, uh, sitting on a board in Singapore, uh, I mentioned Israel, uh, South Africa, uh, Australia, because this is the power of Europe, is the diversity mm. yeah, in minds. We had that at the beginning before we start recording. That's really an advantage. You, you, see, you think really at 360 degrees. Um, we are open for international collaboration. We're not locking up ourselves. That might change a little bit, but still they have uh, a certain restriction on patents. So that, that is something which is a power. Sometimes it might not go so quickly, but I think to having a multidisciplinary team in terms of gender and education and countries makes big, big advantage. Yeah, and uh, because it, it's the very, very easy thing, we should not look to our feats, we should look into the stars. So something similar, as Steve Hawkins has said. And if you have too many people from the same area, you're looking to your feet. Or at least your your family is a, uh, a tree is a circle. Uh, it becomes very unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. but the, the question though is, you know, do we have enough funding? That, that that is, I think, always the question, right? If we if we look at, you know, there's an, there's the Chinese approach, you know, which is very much, let's say, you know, state focused, state supported, you know, where uh, and a lot mistrust, a lot of mistrust amongst each other. So uh, and and I think this is. Uh, when we, we made an analysis uh, for our startup companies uh, and, and, and we asked them, I would say the first one to million is not the issue. Uh, if you do not find your first one to million, then either it's not the right product, you don't work with the right people or you don't have the right pitch. Money is there. It was not 10 years ago. Um, until 10 million, and this you find really local. And then um, when you go to the 10, 50 million, also this is doable. The problem becomes really when we have companies in the launch business or Lilium when we speak about the 100 million tickets. Mm -hmm. This is pretty tough. And this comes from abroad. And this is our uh, everywhere in Europe we have discussion should we take non-European money? And my answer is always saying, come on, we have these companies. We want that they grow here. If we do not have the money, then we should allow foreign investment. Uh, because why our startup company should not have foreign investment, but Qatari helps Mercedes-Benz uh, in the last crisis. So there I would say, what is the difference? So uh, maybe what we should think about is a different tax system like Israel has, that if you move your company to the US or outside of the funding state, that you get your investment back, or you have a different tax on the options. Hmm. So I think being smarter in the tax system of options and, and shares, uh, if you move your company, it's, it's higher if you keep your company in Europe, it stays less. I think that they are smart tools. Yeah, I think, I think you know, mentioning Israel is actually a very, uh, very interesting point here because, you know, what Israel kind of has cracked for themselves and with, with their infrastructure and with their, you know, with their characteristics of, of a country, right, and their strength. They're really good at leveraging that and building things into a state where, you know, you have a very, very solid foundation, you know, like in terms of technology. And it's really already at a stage where, you know, that let's say that the, the next, the next, the next stage would be kind of really scaling it globally. And then at that point you have, let's say they're either being acquired, right. And then it's through that it's spread <clears throat> globally into other countries. And most of the time it's foreign investment anyways, right. Yeah, and uh, you have, it's not only about acquiring, but it's also, as I said, uh, the support from the funding authorities, uh, which are very smart uh, people, um, it, to keep the R&D or keep part of the company local. Yeah, 
but uh, I think it, I, th I think we're not so bad in Europe. Yeah? It's rather the problem is rather the the big corporates, uh, which are. Uh, I remember in uh, uh, last year, no, this year it was this year. It took the Deutsche Telekom two months to to repair a copper cable to my my uh, my house, which I have in the mountains, which is my office sometimes. Huh? Sorry, two months. So I was uh, sorry. Should I put a satellite on the roof? So this is these things are insane. The speed what we have insane. So and these are our innovative companies where uh, the state owns a third. So th that is bad. So and and where's the business of the future? And this is where I think we're sleeping. Amazon Web Services, and this is a good example. Building now, no, building now ground stations, so that you don't need your own ground stations. Why do you do that? Because they want of all the big data which comes from space for our Copernicus satellites, other satellites into the cloud. Yeah. So they go already the next step. Air Force, uh, ex-Air Force officer is the boss of this endeavor. On the other side, we have companies making the last mile, making the space connection, Internet of Things, wherever you are, yeah. as I said, with 5G. So when we're looking again to JIAX, what is the cloud platform in Europe, the competition is already working left and right, and we're focusing on the middleware. So, and I think that, that that's a pity. I think we think much too one-dimensional. And but anyhow yeah or maybe even i don't know maybe it's also kind of about placing big bets right it's it's kind of i had this a really interesting i was listening to this really interesting um panel discussion the other day you know the differentiation between um uh, that th there's different types of characters and entrepreneurs you know and entrepreneurship and approaches you have let's say people that it doesn't mean that if you're a little bit more risk averse to your approaches and basically that that you're not an entrepreneur and i think if we compare more or less the approach of the US and also, you know, maybe maybe China on a on an average scale, right? And we compare that to what we see in Europe. It's really, but not from the people, so not from the entrepreneur itself, but more or less from the infrastructure. And let's say the parties that are responsible for kind of, you know, making things flourish. I think we have a more um, yeah, safe, safer kind of approach to things, right? Not placing big bets and Maybe Jonathan, I think I would say you have to see it. On, in, uh, there's a nice saying from Napoleon, and he said that the word impossible is only in the dictionary of stupid people. <laughs> yeah? And therefore, I think maybe that it's, it's, a, it's a snapshot. But if we're looking to a decade, more than a decade, if we look for a century, come on, Europe was inventing so many things. Yeah, yeah. So is that all gone? Is that therefore I think it's this may be a little bit education that it's all easy. And this is what I said with uh, uh, that uh, there is a wave of entrepreneurship. And when we're looking to also to the funding, and it's the same problem we have in Spain at the moment, they're discussing uh, how they continue the, the the startup support. If you have a crisis, this is where you have to invest yeah, yeah, yeah. in startups entrepreneurship. It's, and it takes time. It's the same like when uh, when you want to have to, to plant a forest. You start with small plants. And the harvesting will be not done by you. It will by your grandkids. So you have to think a little bit in larger scales in terms of timing. And, uh, and, and we as governments, and we are not a government, but a multi-government organization, this is what we have to do. And uh, our survival rate of our startups dropped after five years, that's the time what we've done. I think now from 86% to 77%. Mm -hmm. 
which are still is still too high. I could live with a survival rate of 50% because our job is that they fail quickly. Our job is to enable them. And I think everybody has to do. And uh, I know that the Germans have the Cyber Innovation Hub, which is and even the military stance. So how you bring innovation into public procurement, how you allow them. And I think this we have to allow in all areas. Yeah. And uh, if, uh, there was a nice article I was reading this morning about uh, a baker, which is not going the traditional way. So innovation is not keeping old Eiffel Towers alive. It should kill them, which is good. Evolution is either involve or die out. These are the two passes. Because evolution hates something to keep artificial alive. Yeah. The good thing is evolution cleans it up. So if a company, and, and I'm not sorry for Kodak. Kodak was sleeping, so they were dying. It's good. And uh, when, when a species dies out, it makes space for a new species because there is never a vacuum in, in nature. There's also never a vacuum in industry and economy. So, But we really have to foster and support this diversity. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it comes, it comes down to uh, uh, the, an, an old approach from economics, right? In, in the invisible hand, more sort of say, right? Yeah. So, uh, you, the market regulates things, right? Yeah. So um, if, if, if th that's that's exactly what it is, right? If, if, if your product if your product becomes obsolete at a certain point and you fail to realize that, or you fail to realize, let's say, you know, the innovation that is that is a threat to your current business model, right? And and then, then again, you know, it's it's easy to say that way, but you know, um, we 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 see that you know it's on a large scale. It's hard for for people, ultimately, companies, managers, whatever. To adapt to that, right? And to yes, it, it's safe because it's, of course, it's going the safe way. In Apple, we had a saying in the, in the 90s, uh, nobody gets fired when you buy Microsoft, you know, but therefore we always say, and, and I think this is what we have to change is the mindset. And uh, I use uh, the DG, uh, uh, Nick, that slide from our DG as a nice, when two, April 2015, uh, the, the Falcon 9 was almost landing. So it was crashing on the uh, of the autonomous drone ship, uh, which call, lay, later called the Just Read the Manual. So the American uh, the newspapers were saying um, the SpaceX uh, doc camera Falcon 9 almost landed. Mm -hmm. So the German press, the Welt made, SpaceX failed again. <laughs> you know, this was, so when you look at the marking, you know, you have a, very good, uh, uh, decent marking from the American newspaper. The, the German newspaper was a bad marking. It was a 5-6 in the German system, uh, uh, F in the American system. And when you look into the tweet of Elon Musk that day, full rapid unscheduled assembly event, ship is fine, minor repairs, exciting day. Uh, uh, that's, that's the A minus, that's the one minus. And one year, just one year later, they managed to land. Yeah. And And... It was today again in the newspaper that space is losing control over Starship prototype. Mm -hmm. Damn, it's a prototype. <laughs> it happens that, that you have failures. Yeah. And, and, and Musk said it very nicely. If a design does not work, you change the design. So this is something I want to see of these people writing that. They were skiing from the first day perfectly. They were never falling down when we were going ice skating. Yeah. or riding the bike yeah, yeah, yeah. falling down is part of the game yeah, yeah, yeah. and if you stay on the ground you will be never part of the game so standing up do it again <laughs> hey frank i think that's a really good closing note here uh, it was really great talking to you here today on the show uh thanks for being here and um yeah i, I hope to to kind of you know follow up on this maybe in the future
Sure, Jonathan, thank you very much. Look to our ASA website. We have a lot of funding tools. There's as soon as long as it's connected to space, we're happy to help because uh, uh, there is no crazy one. Eh? It's only brilliant things what we see.